everybody. Happy Tuesday. It's Fan Drive Time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. I got a green tea. I don't know. I'm mixing green tea into the equation. I don't know why I've decided that green tea is, is something I need in my life. You were, like, down on green tea earlier in the newsroom. Like, you're anti-green tea. Not anti-green tea. I was drinking a green tea. Yeah, but you said you weren't enjoying it. You were yeah. doing it out of necessity. It's not my favorite beverage. Well, it's not my favorite beverage either, but I, 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 I find it... I, I think if you polled the world, everybody that's ever had green tea, there's very few of them that would say I'm anti-green tea. Like, who has a negative opinion of green tea other than you? I, you are dramatically overstating my opinion on green tea. I just said it tastes like you burnt your mouth. Even if you don't burn your mouth on it, it still tastes that way. No, I think it tastes like, um, I don't know, like herbs. It tastes Grass. like healing. It, ta- it, it tastes like uh, health. I feel like I'm, I'm being healthy when I drink green tea. Is there caffeine in green tea? A little bit. Okay. You can get decaffeinated green tea, but uh, no, green tea has has caffeine in it. That's why it's, I mean, that's part of why it's uh, heavily used in supplements because it gives you that little little punch. Mm. Green tea ice cream, I'm down with. You're, what about green tea ice cream? I have not had that. You've, there's no burning of the of the mouth sensation with the ice cream. It is delicious, unless that ice cream is room temp and you expected it to be ice cold that's true it feels like it's burning your mouth it's a great great point uh could be a breaking news type of day today uh not that like it's the the biggest deal in the world but luke shen has been scratched from tonight's canucks predators game and he's being sent back to vancouver blake and it's another one of those trade related reasons and i guess we shouldn't say that you know a, a trade is imminent because vlad gavrikov and and yeah, he's been sitting there waiting to be traded for days and days and days, and, and, and nothing's happened yet. But there is a little bit of smoke surrounding the Toronto Maple Leafs and bringing back their former, what, fifth overall pick from many moons ago. I thought for sure you were going the fake-out route and baiting me with any number of meaningless NBA transactions from today. Oh, no, no. I no, thought, thought no. because there was a Woj what bomb. Right as we came, right what as was we said, uh, RJ Hampton, after he clears oh waivers from the Magic, is going to sign with the Pistons. That's exciting. Admiral Schofield got his two-way oh. converted to uh, a full-season contract. Oh, the Admiral. Yeah. Yes. All right, Admiral Schofield. Yeah. No, uh, that's not what I was referencing. No, I was talking about uh, referencing Luke Shen and his tiny, little, itsy-bitsy cap hit. Oh, okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes him very... <laughs> Easy to maneuver for a lot of teams that could add a depth defenseman between now and the March 3rd trade deadline uh, without having to clear a bunch of space. Or if you're certain teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs, you have that space because of your LTIR usage right now. Uh, Luke Shen, very tradable guy. The big question for me, if he is Toronto bound, is who's the odd man out? And I think right now the odd man out is Rasmus Sandin because he's scratched again tonight, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, he's got a shoulder thing. It and like. then Connor Timmons after that. But you take both Timmons and Sandina lineup and your decor skews a little slow, maybe? Well, I don't think you're obligated to to play Luke Shen, like at all. Really. I mean No, but they got Ilya Labushkin last year for a similar reason yep. and he ended up now Sandine and Lilia Grin were not the players last year that they are now, Lilia Grin especially. Um but sorry, I, I shouldn't frame it immediately with a where does he fit because they haven't even made the the trade yet it's a minimal cap hit i can't (laughs) imagine it's a huge 
price tag on Luke Shen. You need another defenseman between yeah. now and March 3rd for sure. Uh, I just immediately go to, okay, who does he fit with? What's the pairing? Where is he used? Um, I like Luke Shen, though. Yeah, he's fine. Like, I, yeah, he makes less than a million dollars. He's a pending free agent. He's right-handed shot. Um, he hits people. He's Clears large. guys out of the front of the net. <laughs> he adds that physical element, and it would be a great story for him to return to Toronto uh, after you know having the hopes of the franchise on his shoulders and then departing in the trade for Dre, uh, James Van Riemsdyk and then leading this team to the promised land. It'd be great, great, great. But yeah, his, his role is limited. His role was limited, frankly, when he won two Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But that's fine. You need more defensemen. I mean... Played 19 games total over those two cup runs, averaged 10 minutes a game. Yeah, that's, I think, what you'd be looking for out of Luke Shen. And maybe, yeah, I, I think it would be unreasonable, not unreasonable, unlikely to see him lace him up for game one of a postseason series. But yeah, we've seen it, the, the leash getting shorter on the Justin Halls of the world. And uh, yeah, the idea that he could jump into the uh, the top six in uh, on the blue line is not out of the realm of possibility. But yeah, he hits a lot of people. He had 20 hits in eight games during the 2021 playoff run with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He has the most hits in the National Hockey League since they started keeping track of who's hitting people. You know the thing about hits, though. Yeah, you can't hit if you have the puck yeah you can only do them when the other team has the puck so um no i i i like luke shed i think as far as depth additions between now and next friday go he would be perfectly one of them. reasonable yeah uh, i don't <laughs> think he's going to change how i feel about this team's defense overall and i guess if a luke shen thing happens earlier here i guess that would be my question with a ryan o'reilly enola uh achari thing that deal probably like a better deal probably wasn't there between then and Friday, unless you were really willing to say risk Timo Meyer walking mm. for nothing. Say um, that one getting done early makes sense to me. If it's a, let's say it's a, I don't know, and um, not negligible, but not a first round pick going third out third round pick. Sure. For Luke Shen, I don't know why you don't wait until the deadline and see if someone else shakes available. There are a handful of fringy playoff teams who are like a three-game losing streak from potentially being sellers as well. So maybe you just wait it out. Now, there's no word that anything is imminent. It is a little odd that Shen's headed back to Vancouver when they return home on Friday as it is. Like, you could have just stuck it out on this yeah. on the last of this little trip. Um I don't know. Luke Shen's fine. I, I don't. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. This is this is the thing with the, the trade the deadline. The name is, though is is big, right? Like the it's name. Fun. It's it, yeah. It would be fun ish. Um. Yeah. Obviously, there's not a ton of pressure on Luke Shen. Like I said, I don't think he's. I mean, the way you draw it up right now, I don't know if he's playing in game one of a postseason series. Maybe if you need like a a, a physical boost or you suffer an injury, you need I know seven, eight, nine, ten defensemen throughout the course of a postseason run but yeah that would that would just be a fun little wrinkle to throw him into the mix it would be and you know maybe this is the right tier to be looking in for the Leafs not only because they use so many assets in the prior trade but if we're being completely honest we should we should be completely honest yeah I like I am a liar but uh if we're being honest like this team's weaknesses at least on paper are not on the defensive side of the 
ice as much as people might have you believe. Like this team is fifth in the league in goals against per 60 at five on five, fifth in the league in goals against per 60 shorthanded. They don't take an above average number of penalties. This team is pretty good at limiting opponent opportunities, whether that's by shots, danger chances. If you just want to go by goals, all of them, they're top five in the league. They're really good, maybe top seven in the league, depending on it, uh, which you know fancy metric you look at. But they're really good defensively. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go out and bolster the defensive core because you should. I'd be more comfortable with a, you know, I, I don't need to, no offense to him, I don't need to see the updates anymore that Jordy Ben's not uh, not in one of the three pairs at practice. Like right. if that's a name that I'm, I'm hearing and thinking about in the playoffs, I'm not super comfortable with that. I don't think you need to necessarily swing for the fences uh, with the demon. Their, their swing for the fences was on the offensive side, which keep swinging though. Yeah. You're <laughs> There's just, plenty uh, of time left until yeah. the March 3rd NHL trade deadline. This is not, I think they have taken their swing, but now yeah, yeah stretch that double into a triple. Yeah. Hey, listen, you're already having a good day if you homer in your, your first at-bat, but the, you know, three more at-bats to come in the game, why not have a two or three or four homer game? It's, nobody says you, you can't keep swinging. There's well, other first-round picks to go. There's a 2024 first-round pick just sitting there, and the Lightning don't have a 2024 first-round pick well, to trade. You, you got Matthew Nyes. You yeah, got Toby Niemela. You got uh, Roni. Gone. Yeah. You got... There's always there are always prospects. At, at last check, Timo Meyer hasn't been traded yet. Although the, apparently the St. Louis Blues are jumping into the mix there, and we'll talk to the the man that broke that news, uh, Frank Saravelli, later on. Uh, let's you know let's wrap up this hockey conversation with uh, Leafs in Buffalo tonight, and Ryan O'Reilly's return to Buffalo to play a Sabres team that almost killed his will to play hockey. He <laughs> was. Um, out of love with the the game of hockey, the Sabers did that to him uh, before they traded him to the Blues in a in a trade package that landed them Tage Thompson, who is a franchise superstar. Seemingly, um, the news of the day out of Leafland is that it seems like O'Reilly's fit on that second line as the center with John Tavares on the wing is something that we're going to see for an extended period of time. Sheldon Keith quote: "It's not a one off." We're going to stay with it here, which is interesting because this is a guy who likes to tinker and there is a scenario where you just spread out the depth with your centerman and and have him center a third line and then you you feel real good about Nola Chari as that fourth line center. And you got real good depth down the middle, but it does seem like, like they're going to try and maximize John Tavares at this stage in his career in a roll on the wing and not up the middle and try and maybe shore up that line defensively with a guy who is a Selkie trophy winner. You can go either way with this, right? You could convince me in a couple different ways. You could go, Hey, it makes the most sense to get Ryan O'Reilly absolutely acclimated with one set of line mates. And that's your quickest path to any trio involving Ryan O'Reilly getting chemistry. You could also tell me it makes the most sense to bounce him around a bunch because we might have to shuffle in the playoffs. And it's good if he gets reps with everyone. A guy who's been in the NHL this long, probably neither of those are huge, huge factors. This is probably more about the other discussion, which is, do you think you're better suited in a series against, we'll use Tampa Bay here because it looks like that's who they're going to play, um, but it would hold for for any top opponent. Do you think you're better served by having two very good lines and then two all right lines or three good lines and, and an all right line? Now, that those are 
we're, we're drawing kind of faint differences there. But what they've decided here is at least for now to load up the second line instead of rolling three not equally strong lines, but quite strong lines with, with strength down the middle. Um, you're also here moving Cal Yarncroft off of Tavares's line where he had found a pretty good chemistry. Um, now, lots of people could probably find a good chemistry with Tavares and Marner, but Yarncroft had done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're you're in a situation where one of the biggest strengths in John Tavares's game is that he's a, an elite, elite, elite centerman in, in the face-up thought. And now Ryan O'Reilly will at least be taking some of those. That's not a huge component, and guys get kicked out of faceoff circles and things like that. Um, but there is a bit of a drop off then when you get to Camp, who's still quite yeah. good. Cali Arncroft, who has a track record of being pretty good in the dot, um, even a, a Kerfoot who can slide in there at times. I think what this really highlights, though, is that this team is very comfortable with their center depth. If you are taking a guy who is winning fifty eight percent of his faceoffs, who is where in the sea and who is a consummate quote unquote two way centerman and you're moving him to the wing. That says a lot about how you feel about your center depth as well as, you know, him with where he's at at this stage in his game as well. If I was going to guess, I would say that you need more seasoning. You need more time to acclimate, build chemistry. If you're trying to create offense, than if you're just trying to be not a, you know, a punt, line but if if ryan o'reilly was centering a third line certainly you'd like some depth scoring there but the job of that line would be primarily don't get scored on right like get the let's, puck from your end to the other end for austin matthews if you want to score and you know all the quotes that are coming out of uh john tavares and ryan o'reilly in the the small sample that we have of two games that they played together where the results have been mixed outside of that first shift being amazing is that, yeah, these guys are just like a little bit off because, you know, they haven't played with each other and it's been two games and perilously little practice time between the two. To me, that's that's the reason behind this move is that, hey, we can always throw Ryan O'Reilly on the third line as the centerman and ask him, hey, just hold the fort here and then flip the, the lines around so we can get the the Austin Matthews line, the John Tavares line back there. That, that seems like an easy easy t- uh, task to ask of Ryan O'Reilly. What's more difficult is asking him to refine his offense and click offensively with a couple of guys who have a track record of scoring in this league and haven't fallen off honestly offensively, statistically, the way Ryan O'Reilly has this year. That's a great point. I, I do. I agree with you that you know a defensive chemistry can come quicker because it's a lot about um, knowing your responsibilities and your zones in the defensive end. So um, I hadn't articulated that. That's a great point. And I also think that this team has shown that they believe that. Like last year, that elite, elite checking line that they had, when you pulled the line mate numbers at the end of the season to see, hey, who should the third line actually be in a playoff game? It didn't matter which of those, th- which three of those five guys you plugged in, really. It yeah. was just, hey, any of these three guys can figure out how to move the puck from one end to the other end. They're all long. They all use their sticks well. They all skate well, and they all play a responsible defensive game. And I think that that is very much the case with the Leafs' bottom six, the way it currently lines up. And, yeah, I think you're right that, that you can go that route if you need it. Um, I, I guess the other thing is... If at some point you decided you needed to reunite Marner and Matthews, mm-hmm. or if you just decided you wanted to do that, um, maybe there's a belief that a, a little bit more stability in that second line with both O'Reilly and Tavares there would allow you to sustain 
that second line, even if Marner's off. I don't think that's an imminent thing, but it's always a possibility you could reunite those two. Also, and not that somebody who has won a Conn Smythe trophy and a Stanley Cup, obviously, uh, is a Conn Smythe winner, needs like a confidence boost. But this has not been the greatest season of Ryan O'Reilly's career, right? Like, wouldn't you like to have Ryan O'Reilly going into a postseason series with like a little bit of offensive momentum, playing with, you know, some some guys who aren't Josh Levo? That, that that that'd be nice. Like no offense to uh to to the third liners of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but yeah, Callie Ron uh, Yarncroke is not exactly Mitch Marner. And yeah, that that has to factor into it as well. The new guy you would like to to get him with a couple of points under I mean, Noel Achari's already done it and I mean Sheldon keeps keeps raving and rightly so about the the new look fourth line with him centering it and the news today that uh, Achari revealed himself or maybe it was yesterday but that he was close to signing with the Leafs in the offseason yeah he was always meant to be here <laughs> yeah. uh so good for him also a, a guy who is um like sneaky old mm. that's what they say about me I'm sneaky old because yeah. I look so young yeah right? you are so youthful. do I still look young because that was always my calling card that I look young do you, do you look at me do I look young while we committed to honesty in this yeah, segment, right? Yeah. Less so today than usual. <laughs> um, I, I think part of it is... I need to trim the beard, maybe? I was just about to say, yeah, your, I your beard is, is longer than usual <laughs> yeah. and down around the oh, neckline. Yeah. It's uh, it's betraying you. <laughs> but the hair and, and the eyes you always you okay. always have. Those always Thanks, look Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, also... Uh, First day of uh, Blue Jay spring training, full squad workout. They were working out. First spring training game comes uh, this weekend on Saturday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Everybody's there, including the new guys, including Dalton Varsho. Not everybody. Oh, yeah, not Alejandro Kirk because he had a kid. Congratulations. Do we know the name? Do we know the gender? I don't know. I, I just saw that he is not there because of the birth of a child. Which might inhibit his ability to participate in the World Baseball Classic for Team Mexico, which would be a... A bummer for him. I, I honestly, I don't think there should be any fretting for fans about their position players going to play in the World Baseball Classic. Like, of course, there's a risk of injury. Somebody's going to get injured during spring training, like the the normal one. So, yeah, that that risk always exists. And I, I think, wouldn't say the injury risk. I think catcher is the one position you could have an argument about it because learning the staff and the rule changes this year, well, which won't be in effect during the World Baseball Classic. Also, so. you're not, like, in spring training games, the catcher is not catching nine innings until what? Like, the last week of spring training? Who has the knees for it? Yeah. But you, because you're sneaky young. No, I have horrible knees. But, yeah, so uh, congratulations to the Kirk clan. All right, so everybody sans Alejandro Kirk is in Dunedin working out today. What is the biggest question you have when it comes to the position players? We went over the, the pitchers the other day when they first reported to camp last week. What's what's the, the number one thing that rattles around in your brain when it comes to the position players? Yeah, I think the biggest curiosity for me from an individual perspective is Brandon Belt. He has just been so good so recently that it's hard to know whether last year was just injury related or a decline for a hitter type that, you know, as good as he was into his thirties, that hitter type can fall off a cliff pretty quickly. If a little bit of bat speed or a little bit of pitch recognition goes. So um, I'm pretty interested in him from a, a just how baseball guys age. Well, and also, Oh, the Atlanta Hawks just fired their coach. Oh, well that's intense. All right. So that is a little bit of NBA breaking news. Well, and, and it, it, the big conversation today, and a lot of people writing about the um, the lineup possibilities and getting lefties involved in there. 
uh, at least in the top four of the lineup. If somebody is going to jump in between uh, George Springer, Bobochet, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like he's the only guy. Like Brandon Belt's the guy. Like unless Dalton Varsho is 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 above and beyond what he's shown offensively throughout the course of his major league career, it's Brandon Belt. It is, and this is a guy who crushes right-handed pitching. A guy who again was even in a down year last year ha- was league average at the plate when he was facing. A righty, and then if you go back even a little bit before that, when he was moderately healthy, he had a 164 WRC plus against righties in 2021. That is not that long ago, and no. I understand he's almost 35. So again, maybe underneath the injury is some skill erosion that can't come back with health. But I want to see it. The question that falls from that, and I, I guess you could frame this as a, a Varsho specific thing or a belt specific thing. But the biggest position player question I have is more of a John Schneider question. And it's where do you place the value of breaking up the righties? Because as much as you have more lefty options this year, all your best hitters are still right-handed. Yeah. So you can't you- just be handing at bats to a guy who is like a league average offensive player in one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. And, and where is the line, right? Like if, if Brandon Belt is 2021 Brandon Belt, you could absolutely drop him in the three-hole in between Vlad and Bo, and I would understand it. Yep. If Dalton Varsho has a 320 OBP and you drop him into that three-hole just because he's left-handed, I don't know that you're going to see the returns. Dude, I'm actually writing about this. 320 would be like, uh, it, w- it would blow away his career high, right? Like, this is not a guy. Let me that- be optimistic. <laughs> okay, uh, well, not to, are you done with the belt conversation? Because, I like, Varsho is, is a guy I'm super interested in. Yeah, in- mostly, mostly this comes down to, are any of the lefties good enough to break up the top of the order, righty, 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 righty? And it's not a huge deal until it kind of is yeah. in big moments. Yeah. Well, if it is, like, if you, if you don't want to have the, the worst, like, platoon advantage in the history of baseball, or at least over the last 30 years or something yeah. insane. Which you had last year. Yeah. Uh, no, Belt is the guy, if you go on track record. Varsho, though, to me, is the biggest curiosity because we know not only do we know so little about him because his track record isn't as long as a 35-year-old guy in Brandon Belt, but also he played on an irrelevant uh, team in Major League Baseball, Arizona Diamondbacks. And in fact, last year was his first full year, right? And and we understand that so much of his value, like this guy's a four-win player last year. So much of that was built on the strength of his incredible defense, which you can count on. Like that's that's a big that's a big deal thing that he plays incredible defense in center field. And that will of course translate into a corner. And I don't think Kevin Kiermeyer is going to play 162 games. If we've been over <gasps> multiple times and, and he'll see plenty of time in center field, but this is the, the feature player. When you talk about the quote unquote improvements between a team that won 92 games a season ago in 2022 and a team that is expected to win a world series as they are every year. And until Vlad and Bo, uh, depart if they do. Um, this is the guy. This is the face of of the work this front office has done in the offseason, giving up their top prospect and one of the best in all of baseball and a guy who hit 300, decided not to hit home runs anymore, but a, a, you know, a popular guy in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. If he's only playing defense and if he's a league average offensive player or worse and this team isn't winning, like he's going to be the guy that's in the fans' crosshairs as far as their angst is concerned. Certainly could go that way. If you want some cause for optimism, give it to me. So prior to becoming a part-time major leaguer in 2020, this was a guy who 
absolutely raked at every level in the minors. And there are scouts who believe if you hit at every level, you know, you don't need to look under the hood that much. Hitting's yeah. hitting. Uh, and he even, he spent some time uh, back in AAA in 2021 and tore the cover off the ball there as well. And had 370 OBP down there. Yeah. Uh, now it's easier to do that stuff against guys who can only throw one pitch over the plate to be sure. Um, so in addition to that, what are you looking at? Well, his process at the plate isn't that bad. He has a low OBP, but a good chunk of that is uh, Babbitt fueled or, or batting average fueled. He does take a reasonable amount of walks. He strikeout percentage is going up though. Yeah. I mean, it was 24 and a half percent last year. That's yeah. not wild in today's game. It's higher than you'd like. How about the splits? Because, I mean, the platoon splits are dramatic. He I hit- thought you wanted the optimism. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Were you, you weren't done giving no. me optimism? Well, he, he's certainly not hitting anywhere near the top of the lineup uh, against lefties. Yeah. Not if he's in the lineup at all. The other thing you could argue here is this is a guy who juggled multiple positions on his way up, including the catcher position, which takes a physical toll and a, and a mental toll, as we've talked to a lot of former catchers when we were talking about Gabriel Moreno last year um, and, and people like Joe Siddle or Caleb Joseph would tell us that you can't even worry about the bat really because the the load you're carrying defensively is so high. Um, I do wonder if there's a little bit of they think there's more offensive development to tap into now that he doesn't have to worry about that stuff. Now that he's just an everyday outfielder. Um I don't, you know, there aren't a lot of examples of guys who make it to the majors as catchers uh, and then move to center field. It's not a very common combination of positions. Uh, so you need to see it in action a little bit. Um, the other thing that you can look at, and you mentioned the splits, there are also these bizarre home road splits where yeah. he hit way better away from Chase Field, even though Chase Field um, plays favorably. Yeah. There was some weird stuff going on at Chase Field last year. Like year long, Chase Field played really unfriendly in general relative to like all the years before it. I, I saw that too. I mean, it's, does that have to do with the Diamondbacks just sucking last yes. year? I, I actually, I had to go back and double check what year Paul Goldschmidt <laughs> left because I was like, was Chase Field only a hitter's park because Paul Goldschmidt was there so long and just yeah. mashed? Wasn't quite the case because um, it had a couple of favorable years post Goldie as well. Um, it is still last year the number two park in terms of added variable distance based on um, all the different factors that you account for. But it's pretty neutral when it comes to batting average on contact. And for whatever reason, last year it was just not good for left-handed hitters. Now, Dalton Varsho is one of the most pull-happy hitters in all of baseball. Mm. He had a bit of a split that I, I would imagine it's just random because Chase Field is so deep in the into center field and that weird like squaring yeah. of center field they have. He pulled the ball less aggressively at home. Mm. I don't know if that's random. I don't know if that's just noise. Or I don't know if that was, uh, hey, I'm trying to use more of the field to get my batting average up and try to, you know, not not sell out for power. I don't know. I'd have to ask him or, or um, dig a little further into the tape. But that was the only thing that I could find in the home road splits that made any sense. Was he just on the road? It seems like he's stuck to dead pull hitter. And at home, he tried to use all fields a little bit more which can be a positive, but it didn't work out for him. He got babbitt to death at home. Yeah, he hit 235. But um, 
he had an OPS of 745 and offense was so down last year in Major League Baseball that he actually had an OPS plus of 109. Like that was, he was an above average offensive player with a 302 on base percentage. Again, playing elite, elite defense, which is not like Blue Jays, that's what they're buying. And this is a guy who's is not a young pup. He's about to be 27 this summer. But like I said, 151 games a season ago, 95 the season prior, 37 the season prior. That was the first time he's ever played an entire season start to finish on a bad Diamondbacks team. It should also be reiterated that he's going to a World Series contender and one of the best offenses in the American League last year. And a team that is talking like he could be a top to middle of the order hitter to break up those righties, at least against right-handed pitching. A lot of pressure comes with that. It's not the same pressure as, you know, we heard Jose Barrios talk the other day about how he basically came out and said, yeah, the, the, the pressure of having signed the big deal and having such a bad start carried a mental component, which we expected. And we had, you know, talked to some other pitchers about Dalton Varsho doesn't have the dollar amount there, but he got traded for yeah. the best prospect of the system. Plus a, a very well-loved, uh, Wait, you don't agree no, that I, Gabriel no. Moreno was the top prospect? Uh, no, 100%. Oh. No, I was I was actually I was just thinking of the scenarios. I mean, it's going to happen. Listen, I might be the guy that does it. Where you're going to see tweets where it's the season stats for Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Curiel Jr. And the season stats for Dalton Varsho. Those those three guys will all, they'll, they'll be compared to each other throughout the course of the season. That's, so, yeah. how, that's how it works. That, that's how she goes. The other side of that, though, is that Varsho is going to be given a lot of opportunity. And, and it sounds like he's going to be given the opportunity to play maybe not as much as last year, but certainly more than he got in 2020 and 2021 on his way up. Uh, a little bit more position certainty, a little bit certainly more roster spot certainty and future certainty. Maybe that stuff helps click as well. And honestly, the way that this offseason is shaken out and the way that this lineup looks on days where they're facing a, a lefty and maybe, you know, Kiermaier or, or Varsho are out. Like, this team, that at least on the front office side, has really operated as if defense is really, really important now. And if you're... If you've got some lefties in the lineup who are 750 OPSing, you're going to be fine with that if the defense comes as advertised. Yep. No, uh, it was a big, obviously, part of uh, remaking this team going into 2023, and he's going to bring that. Like, there's nobody has any questions about the defense that Dalton Varsho is going to bring. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith uh, after 6 o'clock. But coming up next, we are fast approaching the NHL trade deadline, and former Toronto Maple Leaf Luke Shen has been benched for tonight's game between the Canucks and Predators sent back to Vancouver for trade-related reasons. We will talk to Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Next, the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Dive, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Week from Friday, NHL trade deadline means uh, it is our next guest, Time to Shine, Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. How you feeling, Frank? 
tired. Mm, uh, early. Ten, 10 days to go, bud. Yeah, I know. It, but I, here's the problem. I decided to do this 60-day countdown with one story every day. Right. I don't know whose idea this was, but I'm an absolute idiot. Yeah. That's a lot of work, man. Um, and you're breaking news to boot. I mean, you had the the Blues being in on Timo Meyer, which seems like kind of backwards, seeing as how they just traded away their captain. I, don't think so. I know, but I mean, you laid out the case that this is kind of the way they do business, right? They're never going to bottom out, so I never envisioned that this would be a full-scale rebuild they have really good pieces in Cairo and thomas and Braden shen and tory krug on the back end like they're just i don't think they were ever planning for that they were trying to change over and change out some of the older pieces that they had and the truth is if they were in the playoff chase and a 109 point team like they were last year then these guys would be own rentals that they'd be keeping and then saying goodbye in the summer it just worked out that the team wasn't as strong or as good this year and they decided to move on. Now, uh, they have a bunch of first-round picks now, of course, uh, after acquiring the, the Toronto Maple Leafs in, in 2020. I think they have three first-round picks, which is Correct. a lot to throw into the mix in, in acquiring Timo Meyer, who's a restricted free agent, but we understand, yeah, the, the $10 million qualifying offer almost makes him unrestricted. Um, and, I mean, the, the natural thought process would be that the Maple Leafs are now out of the running after spending all that draft capital to acquire Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari. But they do have, I mean, first-round picks beyond 2023. They have their 2024 first-round picks, which, uh, you know, Tampa doesn't have. Um, is it possible the Leafs are, are still looking to take a massive swing? Like, is it is it possible they're still in on Timo Meyer if they were ever in? I, I don't believe so. I don't think they were ever really in. Um I believe the market, at least at this exact juncture and moment in time, is a three-team race. Carolina, New Jersey, and now St. Louis. And I think both of those teams, Carolina and New Jersey, were surprised to find out today that St. Louis is in the fold. Mm. Look, um, it's not just an asset issue for the Maple Leafs to be in. It's a okay what do we do next in the summer type of issue for the Leafs and there's also a cap problem too like you'd have to move out pieces in order to make it work I think and that's all hinging even you know slightly on the idea of Matt Murray not coming back during the regular season stashing him on your cap and bringing him back for the playoffs yeah so there are limits to what the Leafs can do I don't think they're done yet but I also don't see a major acquisition coming, you know, a, a big swing to your point. What I do see is a lowercase addition on their back end. And, you know, I, I think when you consider all things, you know, going out and adding O'Reilly, the big thing that stands out for me is that's the reason the Leafs acted when they did on Friday night was because they feel like there's a true lack of difference makers mm. that are out there, and they wanted to make sure that they got one before they started to go off the board. Don't just gloss over the idea of of, of freeing up Matt Murray's four point six million dollars on LTIR. I, and I didn't gloss it over. <laughs> I mentioned it. I know you mentioned it, but that is that's on you, Mister Host, to ask about it. <laughs> well, now I'm I gonna am... do your job too. <laughs> All right, so now I'm going to ask you about it because uh, I I think I mean. I, I guess this could come back to, to be incorrect, but at this moment with 20-some-odd games to go in the regular season, feels like Ilya Samsonov is starting game one of the postseason 
no matter what. And and I, I think if we rewind back to September, sir, you would yeah. find that that was my prediction. Yep. Uh, no. And uh, kudos to you. You're bang on. Um. And Matt Murray is hurt again, which I don't think uh, is surprising all that many people. Um. I I, I don't. Imagine the Leafs are going to go out and and try and grab a goaltender at, at the deadline, even if Matt Murray isn't like coming back this season, or you know his his future is uncertain. I mean, Joe Wall is okay. He's he's no world beater, I suppose. Although he was in the American League this year, he has a little bit of um, NHL experience. But and there's Shalgren, and there it sure is, and he was the backup in the playoffs uh, a season ago. Um, would it be prudent if Matt Murray is like iffy? And maybe like uh, potentially a, a factor in the postseason to just to to free up again the four point six million dollars on long term injured reserve and just and just bring him back in the postseason. Well, with all due respect to Matt Murray, first off, even when he is upright, he's still iffy because you don't know when he's going to go down again. That's what it feels like. It's one thing after the other. Just I keep going back to the quote from DJ Smith to start the year when the Leafs visited Ottawa. And he said, yeah, you know, what'd you think of Matt Murray? He said, I never really got to know the guy. He was never here. That's sort of where the Leafs are at with Murray. And again, the big question is, are they willing to spend the money on LTIR to then wait and activate him later when it comes to the playoffs? Is this one of those things where you get to the final two weeks of the season and all of a sudden Matt Murray is sent on a conditioning stint to the Marlies for two weeks to get his game right before the playoffs come around and you, you keep him stashed on your cap. It only matters if you're willing to go out and spend it. And I would say the Leafs historically in the last number of years, when presented with the potential of a similar opportunity instead pushed to get the player back and did not spend that cap space to then play that way. They've always done it sort of wink, wink on the, on the up and up. Um, but I think it presents a real question. Your question is about the acquisition. Do they need to go out and, and maybe add someone? And I would say this is a really good year to try and do it. If you need or are looking for an insurance piece, because there's so few teams the way I'm reading the market right now that really are in need of a goalie and are going to try and you know spend to get one that you, you could probably get a decent addition for a late round pick at this moment in time if you feel like that's needed, if you feel like Wall and Shalgren, you can get better than them, which to be fair, the position so fickle, you know, you might think that whatever you get out there is just as good as what you already have. You might, and... Frank, this is how good you are as you you answer the next question in your answer to the last question. Um, that is where I, I was going to go with that was to ask about potential um, goaltending depth additions. But you, you kind of answered that. So let's let's look elsewhere then after the O'Reilly and Achari acquisitions the the logical spot is, you know, one you, you and I and Ben have kicked around a bunch this year was well, did the Leafs need a depth forward more, a middle lineup forward more, or should they continue to shore up the the defensive core? And, and if we're saying with Wall and Shalgren that that's enough depth or, or they're willing to risk it, um, maybe they could then turn their attention to a defensive spot. Um, we know that Luke Shen's away from the Canucks now, so something's probably cooking there between now and Friday. Um, is yeah. it possible that 
an LTIR move or, or something bigger is there for the Leafs, you know, that that's a little bit more meaningful than a Luke Shen? I, I think it's possible. Again, I think you have to temper expectations, though, because I think even the Leafs have determined that there's not enough difference makers out there, and the prices have been so high on these pieces on the back end, whether it's Gavrikov or Chikrin or you know even Eric Carlson, which is a totally different stratosphere, that I think there's been just more forwards available, and that's made it a value proposition. There's more forwards available than I think teams that are going to ultimately end up looking for them. So that's something that I think the Leafs read really well. Um, to me, I think the Leafs would be really wise to go out and, and continue to add on their back end, even with the caveat that I just mentioned. And the reason for that is I, I said this over the weekend and I said it again yesterday on Tim and Friends, and I've continued to get crushed on social media. I think I was trending last night. Ooh. The people were saying, why do you hate this trade, the O'Reilly trade, so much? And and I don't. I just said it's possible for two things to exist at the same time. One, that Ryan O'Reilly can be an impact player. And two, that they probably paid too much. Mm. Like Those things can both be true at the same time. And... The reason I come to that is because I'm still looking at the gauntlet that the Leafs have to go through. Yeah, It's Tampa in the first round, Boston if they're lucky in the second round, and then if they're fortunate enough to get through those two teams, well, your treat in the Eastern Conference final might just be the Carolina Hurricanes. And when I look at the Leafs and I compare them to all three of those teams – they all have a sided and significant advantage in net and their defense cores top to bottom are better and they have star players and difference makers at all of those positions. Can you do that math though? Like, well, especially if you're Kyle Dubas and you're in the final year of your contract, you, you probably can't. And, and it's why, <laughs> why wouldn't you be doing that math? Because you've had six kicks of the can and haven't even won a first round series that you're just, yeah, every year that you have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander under contract, you have to do your darndest to win in those years. And, you know, okay, it may appear that your window's not open. Hey, the the, the Raptors went out and acquired... Uh, a difference maker in 2019 when the the Warriors looked like they were unbeatable. And guess what happened? People got hurt. You know, things happen, right? Like, I, I don't know if you can do that, especially when the clock is ticking on the players, but especially with the general manager. I mean, not that Kyle Dubas did this selfishly, and I, I'm sure he would tell you that he would do it no matter his contract status, but that had to factor in. Oh, I'm sure it did. And the, here's the thing, though, like, the Leafs have continued to go after mostly the same player. Like, I'm going back to Felino. It's a an older, slower player that you've paid handsomely for. Mm. And you've also tried to bring in this leadership element that uh, and playoff hunger element mm. that would seem to be at the very surface level, if you really boil it down, an indictment on the pieces that you've already assembled that haven't been able to get over the hump in the playoffs. Go back to the Brendan Shanahan clip from one of the postmortems. We don't have killers. Yeah. I mean, they it, brought back, they brought in a killer because they don't have any. No, and they need Justin Williams to unretire, I suppose. But this guy did score the opening goal of a game seven of the Stanley Cup final, right? I mean, that was, yeah. I didn't know it. there. Yeah, no, and it has to be more than that, though, Frank. And this is what we, we talked about yesterday, Blake and I, that you can talk about 
the intangible things and the cups and the 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 dressing room. Like, no, Ryan O'Reilly needs to be a difference maker on the ice. Like, he needs to yeah, score. Yeah, he needs to be like 2019 Ryan O'Reilly in order to justify that price. Yeah. And he has not shown at any point this season, because I've watched literally every single shift. Ooh. He's not shown that this year. Can he get there? Does this give him a shot in the arm? Maybe. But that's generally not the way it works. Ugh. Yeah. I, I can't say that I've watched every single shift. That is, that is, you, that's kind of a mic drop moment by you. Like, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, they have this amazing program. Authority. It's called Instat. You literally click a button, and it, it spits out all of the shifts. Yeah. And you can watch them by just hitting play. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, how ben, much of that? Ben wasn't with you in the gym, Frank. <laughs> no. Yeah, you were crushing I don't, I've tape. never even seen a gym. Have you seen me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's a metaphorical gym. <laughs> the tape gym. All right. Okay. So last one. Now that you're the Ryan O'Reilly authority, how much of this has to do with the, the line mates and a, and a bad blues team? Um, Maybe a little bit. It's been a weird year for the blues. But I just, when I watched, I focused on, you know, where he's at and his foot speed, things like that. He's never been a burner. Yeah. But he's someone that had made his living on being competitive and getting to the right place at the right time. You don't start to arrive at that place on time anymore, and that's your calling card. That becomes extremely problematic for your game. And I think the best way to illustrate that is by just looking at penalties drawn and penalties taken. Yeah. I think last year he had five penalties taken and 29 drawn. Yep. And this year he's at five and five. Well, and that's not going to improve with the Leafs because yeah, I, I, we all know the referees hate every member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to make this another thing where I start trending on social media again. Yeah, you I do. don't need that. Come on. And I'm not – look – I don't know what the threshold is for the Leafs to have success, but why is it that when they say one thing about we, you know, rentals aren't really what we're looking at, it's not just to obfuscate the media. And there seemed to be something out there about, oh, like you just must be sad because you didn't break it. Like I've broken my fair share of Leaf news over the last number of years, like, don't worry, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, I, I missed this this uh, this Twitter discourse. It sounds sounds juicy. Um, all right, before we let you go, though, uh, Blake brought up the Luke Shen thing, who's who's out for trade related reasons. Yeah, he's. He, I don't think he's going to win a Conn Smythe this year. But uh, do you think something's imminent there, and and could the Leafs be involved? Um, no, I do not think it's imminent. I think the message from the Canucks was we're sending you home from this trip and we've got enough calls on you to think that it's very likely that we're going to move you. We don't want to see you get hurt. We'd like to protect you and sit tight because we don't think anything's imminent, but you know, we're going to hold you out until March 3rd. All right. That's the way uh, business is done seemingly in the NHL in uh, twenty. It is now trade, trade protect or protect the asset are like the three biggest words in in hockey over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, hard, hard to argue with it when Timo Meyer is, is out with like, apparently not. Hey, no Meyer and no, I think they had no hurdle last night and no problem. Yeah, that's right. Whatever. <laughs> we should sit these guys more often, the Sharks said. Yeah, I mean, Bill Simmons called it the Ewing theory. So yeah, maybe there's something to that. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you guys. Have a good one. You too. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Yeah, Kyle Dubas is a liar and he referenced that but yeah maybe maybe 
my initial thought on it was that he always intended to use the assets to acquire whatever player was available, be that a rental or not. I guess what Frank is saying is that, like, hey, the prices actually went to a place and the difference makers were so few and far between that he was kind of, like, forced into that. I don't know if forced is the right term or just, hey, if this is the way all these negotiations are going, let's get it done and get a pair of guys we like now and not ride it out. Because here's the other thing. If prices were already getting to that point, what if someone eventually meets that ask on Ryan O'Reilly? Mm-hmm. Well, who's the next Ryan O'Reilly up? Yeah, they're that one. Nobody with a con Smythe. And it doesn't sound like if we assume the Leafs weren't willing to do the Horvat Meyer thing because of the next contract involved, whereas O'Reilly could be a different story, then you're really talking about a, a thinned out market. No doubt. Uh, Blue Jays with their first full squad workout at spring training in Dunedin. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith. The At The Letters podcast as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis alongside Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.